You're listening to The Mumbrella Cast. The Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to The Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis and joining me to break down the week in media and marketing on a pretty important day. It's Are You OK Day today, the day we're recording. Uh, joining me is Olivia Crimmel. Hello, Damien. Xander Wilson. G'day, Damo. And Callum Jaspin. Hello, Damo. Later in the Mumbrella cast, Xander will be talking to Initiative <laughs> CEO Melissa Fine and MD Sam Gear about the ongoing talent drain facing the marketing industry. The biggest difference has been that our borders are, are definitively closed and there's a big talent drought in this market. And I think that genuinely has been probably one of our biggest challenges. How Initiative transformed into the agency that it is now. We were an agency that was vanilla and bland and all of those things, and it was it's 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 a true story of transformation. And why placing the needs of individual employees first creates a culture that breeds success. People want individual opportunities for their own career to grow, and we've got to remember that. I think agencies can get swept up in their own success and forget about what that actually means to the individual. But first, the week's topics. The High Court ruling that confirms media outlets are responsible for Facebook comments. Former Cleminger BBDO CEO Nick Garrett joins Deloitte Digital and... How the media, marketing and advertising industry approached Are You OK Day today. The High Court of Australia has ruled media outlets that run Facebook pages are the publishers of third-party comments on the platform dismissing the second round of appeals from the publishers of news outlets, including the Sydney Morning Herald, the Australian Sky News, the Centralian Advocate, and the Bolt Report. The ruling relates to a case first brought before the New South Wales Supreme Court, with former Dondale Juvenile Detention Centre detainee Dylan Voller alleging that comments on Facebook posts by the aforementioned outlets were defamatory. Xander, this is the latest development in the case which stretches back a couple of years, Uh, What exactly does the ruling mean and do publishers have any other recourse in this situation? Yeah, so as you mentioned there, it's a case that stretched back a couple of years. We really have to go back to 2016 to really get all the necessary context for what's happened this week. Uh, Back then, Dylan Voller, as you mentioned, uh, featured in a really a now infamous episode of the ABC's Four Corners that exposed the treatment of young people in Dondale, a juvenile detention centre in the NT. Around that time, the likes of the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, the Australian and Sky News, as well as a few other outlets, ran stories about Vola, which were then shared on their own respective Facebook pages. Readers made several comments on those Facebook posts, as as they do, and and Vola's claim in in his case, which was first brought before the New South Wales Supreme Court in 2019, was that some of these comments defamed him and that the outlets published them. Then in June 2019, Vola won the first round of the case when the court ruled that media outlets could indeed be sued for defamation in comments by readers. And it's the first case like this with comments on a public Facebook page not previously being part of any defamation case previously. At that time, News Corp called the decision ridiculous and and they and at the time Fairfax, now nine, lodged appeals. Uh, That first appeal was lost in 2020. And now this is a second appeal, which has gone all the way to the High Court. So yesterday, the High Court's Chief Justice Susan Kiefel and 
Justices Patrick Keane and Jacqueline Gleeson found that the outlets were indeed publishers of third-party Facebook comments after the majority of the court found that the outlets were facilitating and encouraging the relevant communication, relevant communication in this instance being the comments themselves. So there are a few pretty important things to note here. Firstly, this is a part of the case that is being ruled on, sorry, was being ruled on separately to whether the comments were in fact defamatory, as Voller alleges. That is yet to come, that, that, second, that secondary decision, and we'll obviously be watching closely. And the second thing to note is that at the time the comments were made, and this is something that the publishers have been at pains to say, that Facebook didn't actually allow owners of their pages, of Facebook pages, to turn off the comments, which they can now do. As to whether there's any recourse for the publishers, well, this is it seems like this is far from the end of the road for this case. What comes next is stage two of the review of the model defamation provisions. And Nine said in a comment to Mumbrella after the ruling yesterday that it hopes this second stage and those in charge will take into account the consequences of, of upholding this ruling for publishers uh, sort of far and wide moving forward. So as you say, Xander, you spoke to Nine uh, afterwards. News Corp also put out uh, a comment uh, as well. What did they have to say about the situation and uh, are there other implications of the ruling moving forward as well? Yeah, so as I alluded to there, uh, Nine did respond to me and then the executive chairman of News Corp, Michael Miller, put out a comment as well. Unsurprisingly, both companies expressing their disappointment in, in the ruling and concern as they have done on several occasions throughout the process so far. Uh, the spokesperson for Nine that spoke to us told us that while Nine does recognise the decision by the High Court, it will have significant ramifications for what they can they believe they can post on social media in the future. Then Miller from News Corp expressed a pretty similar sentiment and, and suggested that the ruling highlights the need for pretty urgent legislative reform. Um, he also used that comment to call on the Attorney General to address and bring Australian law in line with comparable Western democracies. As for the ramifications, well, I, I guess the potential ramifications are pretty wide-reaching. We saw people from the industry, outside the industry, and, and other areas express concern on Twitter and other platforms yesterday. Uh, one that particularly caught my eye was uh, Michael West, who runs his own independent media outlet, Michael West Media. Um, and the reason why that caught that caught my eye is because he's the sort of person that really rarely sides with the big media companies. Um, he expressed his concern and, and asked how media can possibly keep tracking all their comments across Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or even TikTok or Reddit, which could be places where this this may have ramifications in the future. While big companies as well can probably afford to defend the odd case coming from defamation from comments, West wondered if this was the death knell for independent publishers, which I note many of whom are still fighting to receive any form of payment from the likes of Facebook under the, under the news media bargaining code at this stage. Uh, one particularly poignant comment that West made was, why should I lose everything in legal fees for defending a comment that I didn't see from someone that I didn't even know? Um, a, a great question. It also, in an op-ed for Mumbrella published today, the director of G-Squared, George Fortios, uh, suggested that the ruling will increase the risk and exposure for brands as well. So, so the consequences could go beyond just publishers. He suggested that disabling comments on socials will 
really stuff up social media strategies uh, as they stand for a lot of brands. And, and, and in that piece, he suggests a few things that brands can do to mitigate those potential risks. I definitely recommend anyone interested head over to Mumbrella and give that story a read. But in terms of what the consequences will be, I, I think we really have to wait and see what happens with the the second part of the ruling. And, and, and also, um, as I mentioned previously, it's not yet been decided whether the comments are defamatory or not. Uh, in the court. If if that is the ruling, um, I think we could see an acceleration of really a fight back from from media and 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 some serious uh, sentiment against the ruling. Um, if they're found not to be defamatory, there's still a lot of questions to answer. Um, but I think that'll give perhaps the media and also the advertising industry a bit more time to work out the best way to tackle this issue moving forward. Yeah, Liv, I think it's a good time to bring you in on this one, being the the managing editor of news and analysis at, at Mumbrella and essentially the person who's uh, responsible for the, the day-to-day news agenda that, that we deliver to the media and marketing industry. We, of course, don't currently publish uh, comments on our website and, and we uh, switch off the comments on Facebook at the moment. But what are your thoughts about this? Should the media really be responsible for... Uh, social media comments, Facebook comments in particular? I think that this again shows how out of touch our legislators and our courts are because the real world and the legal world are often uh, very different in terms of how they look at an issue. Um, Facebook as a platform is built on engagement. It's built on people posting and sharing content. Now, you know, as a publisher sharing content on there, when a user then comments on that content and the comment is defamatory, it should really go to that user. But the problem is, is that we can't verify every single user's identity at this point in time. And so I think it really comes down to what can the platform legitimately deliver in terms of legal recourse versus what is the point of the platform? And and to Xander's point, you know, social media strategies and those social media platforms are built on engagement. So if you take away that engagement opportunity, i.e. turning off comments, obviously the engagement is nothing. There's, you know, it's a like or a, or a heart on Instagram, for instance. So I think the, the legislators and the courts really need to have a, a look at the environment that they're legislating against at the moment and the environment that they're making these legal decisions on. I don't think they understand the platforms. Coming up next, Deloitte Digital snares a big name in Nick Garrett. Former Clemenger BBDO CEO Nick Garrett has joined Deloitte Digital, becoming the third partner with Matt Lawson and Adrian Mills in Deloitte Creative. Garrett left Clemenger in 2019, where he led both the Melbourne and Sydney offices. He had joined the Melbourne shop in 2015, arriving from Colenso BBDO in Auckland, having achieved significant success in New Zealand. In Australia, he helped Clemenger continue as one of the most successful creative agencies in the industry. He's a former Mumbrella Industry Leader of the Year award winner, among multiple other Mumbrella awards won uh, by Clemenger BBDO during his time at the helm. Cal, you managed to corner him after the announcement broke. Uh, Why now and why Deloitte Digital? I assume there would have been quite a line of agencies uh, trying to get uh, his signature on a contract. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting move for him from what I can gather. Um, Nick uh, has been out of the industry for almost two years um, after leaving that post at Clemenger, which you mentioned, which is you know quite a hefty chunk um, when you think about uh, other people when they're moving between jobs. But he said during this time, he's been working on a number of projects, a few of which we know about publicly, including Lucian and, and Mutiny, Mutiny, he advised for and sat on the board of, and he's still an equity holder there. So um, that will continue to be a connection as far as I'm aware. Um, but yeah, he's he, he basically has been working for himself, which he said he really loved doing um, and was offered a number of roles, as you, as you alluded to there, um, not just limited to agency land, but also um, you know, across the board in a couple of different sectors, but none of them, none of them really seemed like the right opportunity at the time. Um, and yeah, as I said, I think it was only planning on potentially being a year out, but um, with COVID happening and um, Garrett saying that he was really just enjoying uh, working for himself, none of them really seemed like the right opportunity at the right time. Um, but in terms of the role itself, um, he told me that uh, he felt now was the right time to really get back into a permanent role as it was kind of getting towards that uh, that point where two years is quite a hefty chunk, as I said. Um, and if the, the right role were to present itself, which in this case, Matt and Adrian at Deloitte did present that opportunity and he took it. Yeah, so um, he's worked with both kind of before and not so much um adrian uh but matt twice including um as you mentioned there when he was running colenso bbdo uh across the across the channel there um but with this new role matt is going matt and adrian are based in melbourne so nick's going to be complementing that by running like, things up in sydney um and I think each of them having slightly different skill sets will be will be interesting to see how that goes down with uh, a staffing, which is, um, I, I believe, Garrett mentioned to me between eight and nine hundred. So um, it's quite hefty if you think about that in comparison to uh, most other high end agencies in the country. So the, from what I gathered, it just it, it, it almost seemed like exactly what Garrett had been wanting based off what he's been doing in his, in this two years out. He said he described it as feeling like a kid in a candy store with the resources and tools that Deloitte has at its disposal, um, being a consultancy. Something He said this is something that no agency has um, and noting that the strategic and technical depth of the consultancy combined with the confident and optimistic view of the world was something that really drew him to the opportunity. As you mentioned, Cal, uh, over to consultancy land for Nick Garrett, you know, those uh, hundreds of people that he'll be working with at Deloitte Digital, they obviously span a lot of different uh, skill sets as you find in, in consultancy. It's interesting that he's joined uh, other big names like uh, Sadiq Gohill over at KPMG. Uh, Russell Howcroft, of course, uh, was at PwC for a little while, isn't anymore, but uh, there's been some very big names in the creative space who uh, uh, over at consultancies uh, at, at the moment. Uh, for me, the interesting thing here is the, the choice of Deloitte Digital. Adrian Mills uh, is very well known in the industry uh, in, in particular. I guess Deloitte 
has been pushing its Suzuki work more than most of the other work coming out of uh, the business uh, recently. Uh, we've certainly covered the Suzuki work quite a lot, but I'm assuming that, that this hire uh, and this strategy now uh, is going to try and push Deloitte Digital much further on than, than where it is now. And Hopefully, we'll be hearing a lot more than uh, just the Suzuki work coming out of that um, that business now. But uh, what's the goal? What's the plans uh, moving forward? And what does Nick hope to achieve? The impression that I got was that, uh, I mean, we didn't specifically speak about clients per se, but um, when Nick left um, Cleminger, he said that there was three options that he was looking at for his next step, and those were potentially either looking at consultancy, tech, or client side. And with this opportunity, you know, he he has said that his grounding and what he's good at is is creativity. So I think he's really looking forward to bringing that to what you know those capabilities that I mentioned before that Deloitte have. Um, but we didn't really speak specifically about clients per se. Um, but he did speak about the the contrast that Deloitte has in investing ahead of the curve and how that differs slightly to the investment that agencies are proactively going for. Um, so he's really looking forward to to translating those skills that he learned in the last eighteen months into hoping, uh, sorry, helping Deloitte um, create and find solutions to big problems with the creative mindset. I believe the words he used were that. Um, this for this approach was that creativity is where humanity and technology collide. So I guess that's a bit of an insight into um, the approach he's taking. But uh, I definitely think there's going to be some some interesting stuff coming out um, after those three do kind of get to work together with that that wider team. Um, and of course, the Deloitte approach to creativity is slightly different to what you would see traditionally at agencies. So um, and yeah, interestingly, he said that. Um, uh, he would, they would be focusing on bigger ideas rather than volume and high intensity. So I guess that suggests that they're not going to be wanting to bring on loads of clients on a kind of um, on a roster basis. Absolutely fan, uh, fascinating narrative that's uh, about to occur. Obviously, uh, Chris Howitson and Nick Garrett, the, the two leading creative lights at Clemenger Group, previously taking two very different uh, paths forward. Uh, but coming up next, we're going to be discussing how the media and marketing industry tackled Are You OK Day. Today, Thursday, 9th of September, is Are You OK Day, a harm prevention initiative founded by admin Gavin Larkin in 2009. Are You OK Day encourages people to stay connected and have conversations that can help others through difficult times in their lives. This year's day feels particularly important after the challenges of the past 18 months, ongoing lockdowns, working from home, separation from loved ones, looming deadlines, redundancies, they've all taken a toll on members of our community. Uh, And it was nicely timed today in New South Wales anyway, with the roadmap uh, out of lockdown. Liv, uh, we asked media and marketing the industry what uh, they were doing for their employees today, and there's been a pretty big response uh, from Adland, not unsurprisingly. Uh, What sort of initiatives uh, have we seen around the traps? Yes, Damien, it's pleasing to see so many organisations across uh, media, marketing, advertising, etc., all looking out for their employees and and encouraging various uh, mental health initiatives amongst them. Uh, Interestingly, Movember, which is obviously another uh, not-for-profit aimed at um, mental health awareness, uh, has come out saying that they're going to 
give all of their staff globally uh, today and tomorrow off so that they have a four-day weekend to recharge. And CEO Michelle Terry is calling for other organisations to follow their lead, um, especially because it's been a tough 18 months for for people around the globe. So it is interesting to see uh, even other uh, not-for-profits uh, joining the Are You OK Day uh, mantra to for people to stop and take time out to care about the, not only themselves but also those around them by asking, Are You OK? Um, within Australia media industry, we've seen recently Havas Media and Bastion also announce extra days off for staff to recharge. Um, Bastions will actually be a monthly day off going forward where there isn't a public holiday long weekend, which sounds quite lovely. Um, <laughs> in, in Ocean uh, is giving everyone an hour off. It's called a sunshine hour. And the aim is to use this time uh, during the day to go and, and get some vitamin D and to take some time out from work. Um, they're also looking at now doing an entire day every couple of months, so an extra day of leave for staff to go and, you know, spend some quality time outdoors, etc. Um, similarly, uh, Initiative has introduced mental fitness days. It's a day off each month for staff to focus on building their mental health fitness. And they've also developed a series of mental health exercises. MNC Saatchi is kicking off a 10-day energy masterclass with Energy X. Mediacom will be closed tomorrow to give everyone a chance to ask those around them, are you okay? As well as that, uh, Mediacom sent out to their staff some very cute looking snack packs um, in conjunction with Snack Proud. Uh, not to be outdone, uh, over at Publicis, Publicis Sapient is uh, supporting and encouraging people to take additional leave and, and they've given staff vaccination leave as well as COVID care leave. So they're also uh, joining the leave bandwagon and they're also giving staff a uh, perk box voucher to get a treat um, during these ongoing lockdowns. Um Starcom today is having a meeting free day for Are You OK Day? And they'll also be getting a voucher um, from Starcom management. So as you can see, there is a lot of a really uh, proactive activity amongst the industry when it comes to looking after their staff and encouraging staff to take time out and look after their mental well-being. Yeah, absolutely. I think a little bit of a shout out to Rich Curtis over at Future Brand who months and months ago started a... Uh, what I think they call a, a healthy rather than a sicky, uh, which is essentially their version of a, a day off. And it sounds like uh, a lot of agencies are doing similar things uh, at the moment uh, now as well, which is great to, to see the initiative really catching on. Um, the pattern there did seem to be days off live. Were there any sort of other patterns there of um, you know, offerings from, from different uh, businesses? I think overwhelmingly the feedback we got from the industry leaders was that it's important to have conversations and so staff are encouraged and management is leading in this respect to encourage staff to have those conversations. If people are having issues um, 
whether they're mental health issues or whether they're other issues, the, the emphasis is really on open dialogue, having a conversation, speaking to those around you, and also checking in on your colleagues. Um, quite a few agencies had a sort of thing that they were using Are You OK Day to encourage staff to speak to staff that they don't regularly interact with. So to reach out to a, a team member who you perhaps haven't spoken to, you know, in many, many, many months because it's work from home and so you're not bumping into them in the office lift well or in the kitchen etc so that that's the other key thing and we obviously would um, like to remind our listeners that if you are feeling at all uh, under stress or uh, have any concerns please do reach out to Lifeline on 13 11 14. Coming up next Xander is going to chat with initiatives Melfine and Sam Gear. I'm Xander Wilson, and joining me on the Mumbrella Cast this week is Initiative CEO Melissa Fain and Managing Director Sam Gear. Thanks so much for coming on the pod, guys. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. Very happy to be here, mate. Uh, so it's it's been a big year for for Initiative already. Um, Sam, I wanted to start with you. Uh, almost eighteen months since you stepped into the National Managing Director role. How do you look back on that time? Um, are you happy with what you've done? And, and, and also really interested to, to, I have been talking to quite a few people this year about, about starting roles in sort of the COVID era and the fact that, you know, for you, that hasn't really changed. It, you started in the COVID era and now we're back in lockdowns. How do you, how do you reflect back on it? Oh, it's been tumultuous. I don't think there's any getting around that. Um, it's certainly... Uh, it's certainly been a different experience, but um, look, one I wouldn't change. You know, I think it's it's brought our agency closer together, despite being apart. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but it's very true. You know, I think um, challenges have been thrown at every single agency, and I've been so proud about the way the guys have tackled those challenges. Um, you know, and really tackled them head on together. Um, you know, I think for me personally, it's it's been hard. I'm, I'm better in person. I'm very open about that. Um, and, and, you know, starting a new role and not being able to get up in front of the agency or do walkthroughs or tap people on the shoulder and ask them how they're doing um, has been really difficult, particularly in a, in a different type of role where, you know, you're managing a lot more people and more broadly across the agency, not just one department. Um, but, you know, there's ways around it. It's not impossible. It's just more challenging. And I think, you know, I've had to get used to being on the phone all day like everybody has. Um, and just being really proactive with communication. I think, you know, above and beyond anything, we've been able to communicate our, our way through this period and we're not through it yet, but it certainly meant we've had to change the way we do things and, and we've been able to do that really successfully. And I'm, I'm pumped to be, you know, sitting here talking to you as, you know, agency of the year, thanks to Mumbrella, mm-hmm. um, and to be not out the other end, but a, to have made a really good go of it through a challenging period. Yeah, definitely. And and you do mention there that that initiative did win Mumbrella's Media Agency of the Year Awards. So I'll touch on that later. Um, Mel, I just wanted to throw to you, reflecting back on the last 18 months, um, I wanted to ask as well, as well as just generally, specifically, I guess, how the culture and the company um, has evolved and changed because in that time, it's sort of it's around about the same time as when Mark Code took over as well as CEO of IPG Media Brands Australia. Has that had, you know, significant impact on you? Uh, so in terms of um, Mark Code having significant impact, I think the, he's been an amazing supportive leader and a very empowering leader as well. And I think that's 
you know, it was music to our ears where he came in and in his very humble way sort of said, you know, I'll support you, but I'll get out of the way and make sure, you know, the brands really um, make sure that they've got the shining light. And and he's done just that. And I think we're proud of that at Media Brands that that we do stand for something as brands, you know, that I know there's a lot of holding groups going into kind of bigger open architecture type models, but we're still very much um, have a lot of focus on the brands. And I think that's been even more important in the last 18 months because, you know, our people aren't interacting. So they need purpose. They need vision. They need a mission that we can all strive towards together. And that for me has been the power of the initiative brand, both locally and globally. We're a really strong connected global network. So we get support from, from, from our global team, but we also then get empowered on a local level to create some amazing people initiatives that we've done along the way. And if anything, we've just, you know, we've tried everything and some things worked and some things haven't. And, um, you know, I've got a, I'm really proud. I've got a great people leader in Scott Laird and he's just been, um, you know, I think his role changed a lot at, at the very beginning. Like all of us became counsellors and we weren't sort of expecting to become therapists um, as well as leaders. And that sort of definitely became quite challenged in, in a, even our own personal resilience and how we get through, you know, the day to day or the week by week. But if anything, it's just shown, as Sam said, like the strength of the team. And I think what's really important is that we were really tightly connected team before we came into COVID. So you mentioned Sam 18 months into the role. Sam's been in the business for just over three years, has been an amazing um, cultural in, uh, inclusion into the business and, and it's changed the game for us. Um, I've got, you know, three or four others that have been such heavily, have, have had such heavy impact in the way that they've joined our leadership team. And to have that connection together going into something like a pandemic that you you know none of us could ever train for. I think that's certainly um, tied us together, and the entire company has seen the camaraderie that we have at, at a leadership team, and how then that's built through through the organisation. But you know, so so we've certainly had some um, some learnings off the back of it, and we're really proud to come out. We've launched some great programs recently that sort of will we'll get the light of day in the next couple of months. But you know, I, I think we're probably now at the point where. We've understood where we can run this industry and the agency through virtual settings. And, you know, we feel like we're a lot more mature in doing that. Yeah, definitely. And you sort of just touched on what my next point was going to be there, which was, you know, uh, back into lockdown this year when, when I wanted to ask whether there were any key learnings that you were able to take from last year into this year. And you, you did sort of answer that. But but also to to that point, you know, what, we're see, what we have seen this year is media spend not drop off in the same way that we saw it drop off last year. Has that made it easier for, you know, to I guess to implement those learnings from last year? And has it made the experience easier this time around or is it, has it been yeah. just as hard? I mean, I think it's been very different. Um, we're, we're empathetic to our media partners that sort of have had to take another hit. Um, there's certain channels out there that are sort of struggling more than others. But I think the biggest difference for this one is the confidence in the retention of staff. At the start of the heart of the pandemic, you know, there were certain moments that, you know, most organisations had to review um, structures and, and people and, you know, there was a lot of coverage around certain um, redundancies and pay cuts and all of that sort of stuff. There hasn't been that this time. If anything, it's been very much focused around resilience. But from a from a perspective of the wider industry, um, the biggest difference has been that our borders are, are definitively closed and there's a big talent drought in this market. And I think that genuinely has been probably one of our biggest challenges because 
most of us uh, know how to manage ourselves working from home now. Um, I'd say the two biggest challenges are finding staff and onboarding staff through and onboarding the staff through this um, period. Um, but you know what? The, again, it's it given us ways while everyone is zigging, given us opportunities to zag and go through and find different and find people in very different ways. Um, and we've been able to do that through programs like the ISO internship that we built. You know, different ways of you know new people coming through our industry. Um, and then just making sure that we've got sort of we'd like to think market leading onboarding practices. We've had a lot of people start in roles from either different agencies or media partners where they just haven't really um, enjoyed the industry. And so I think it's it's something that I'm really, really energised and focused on is to make sure that our people coming in have a really good onboarding process because the, the biggest thing is we're losing people in this industry right now. We're not just losing them to other agencies. We're losing them all together. And I think this um, extended lockdown has given people some time of reflection and they're going to either start their own businesses or go into sort of, you know, either not-for-profits or other areas that they're more passionate about. And um, we want to make sure that we keep this industry thriving. So onboarding for us has become a big focus in the agency as well. Yeah, so that, obviously that talent retention makes things really difficult. Um, but Initiative has, you know, announced a series of, you know, pretty pretty serious hires throughout, especially the last six months. How have you guys been able to do that and, and what's really been fueling the growth of, of the agency despite, you know, as we say, drops in ad spend, talent droughts and all that sort of thing? Look, we've had exceptional momentum, I think. You know, it comes down to that and I think everything is intrinsically linked. When you have momentum, when you're doing well as an agency, that brings the right kind of attention onto you and it attracts the right kind of talent. So I think we, we certainly weren't immune from those challenges, you know, despite the momentum that our agency has had. You know, I think we were confident that getting some new business wins would continue that momentum um, and having a really clear idea of who we are as an agency, what we stand for, also attracts talent. Um, and, and we've been able to do that, you know. And, and as I said, it's not without its challenges. I think, you know, we've had to completely relook at how we run recruitment um, you know, we've had an external RPO come in and help out, which has been um, incredibly fortuitous and some really good foresight by the leadership at Media Brands. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, humans um, are the best recruitment tool and getting referrals from internally and having, you know, I guess a breath of fresh air of new talent come into the agency. They bring referrals, they bring recommendations, and it gives you a new perspective on what the talent is like out there in the market. Um, but, you know, certainly having success as an agency is what people are attracted to. People want individual opportunities for their own career to grow. And we've got to remember that. I think agencies can get swept up in their own success and forget about what that actually means to the individual working during the day-to-day. -day. And that's what motivates people. People want learning and development opportunities. They want to grow their career fast and, and have opportunities to do great work with great clients. So if you're at an agency that is attracting good clients and you're attracting them um, in the right way, you know, clients that respect quality thinking, are willing to pay for it and are demanding it of their agency, then, you know, the talent is going to follow that because they're going to be want to be doing that type of work as well. Absolutely. And and you do mention there that, you know, the focus on the individual, but but also that there has been success for the agency. One of those things we we said earlier that winning the media agency of the year at the Mumbrella Awards. Mel, I might throw you this one. I mean, what does it mean to you guys to get that 
industry recognition, especially after the year that everyone's had? Yeah, I mean, it means a lot after the year that it's had, but it means even more for us and for my leadership team that have been a part of this journey for the last three years, because we were an agency that was vanilla and bland and all of those things. And it was, it's, it's, it's a true story of transformation. This is not a story of an agency that you'd expect to see year after year up there um, competing in the shortlist. And, and we've certainly given it a crack in the last couple of years, but we knew we weren't quite there until this year. Um, and, you know, Rome can't be built in a night, but they, in a day, sorry, but they, but we certainly have spent three years um, with a very strategic momentum of getting to that moment and being rewarded and recognised as Agency of the Year. And, you know, we, we were sitting, just to give you some um, context around that, we were sitting sort of circa around number 40 on the new business recommend on, you know, the R3 um, report that comes out where now as of last month and last year we were sort of sitting at the number one mark so it's been a, a big story from kind of 40 to number one um, and you know that that that's everything it was the people transformation and who were brought into the business it's an absolute product transformation and you know Matt Baxter even from New York had helped lead that that product transformation we're you know a very close uh, network and he built a lot of camaraderie and excitement around the product in those early days um, it's also a full, you know, commercial transformation going from, you know, an unprofitable business to, you know, profitability across the board um, and making sure that we've got new and diverse re revenue streams um, that our clients can engage with. And, you know, that's from content to analytics and bringing all of that into an integrated model into initiative. Um, so it's it was, I mean, it sort of, it was a surreal celebration because I celebrated with virtual champagne with my team for about an hour after and then we closed our laptops and you know went and gave the dog some dinner and it was uh very surreal because you want those moments and uh, we are certainly waiting to celebrate together as a team and, and and as a national team it's not just the sydney team that we're waiting to get out of lockdown it's you know perth opening their borders they've had huge success of our melbourne team and um we just want to get together and celebrate this momentous moment for us. So, yeah, a big transformation story and, and really proud to get to that. Yeah, it's a definitely a great story there. And then, you know, the the momentum with clients, I just wanted to move on to. It's obviously mm. something that you've been able to keep up since the start of the year. Um, a couple of recent wins I wanted to highlight, IAG and those, you know, heritage brands associated. And then actually quite a very different uh, client like Afterpay, mm. um, I guess something that, that struck me about those is, you know, they're quite contrasting styles of businesses. Mm. Is that is that, I guess, proof that initiative, you know, is able and, and has transformed into something that, you know, can really handle very different styles of clients um, with very, I presume, different styles of media strategy going with them? Yeah, definitely. But we're also not... Um, we're very strategic in the way that we would engage and go for certain types of businesses. So even though those two businesses seem very different, we were very focused on IAG and have been for, for some time. We actually called it our Olympics. And, and the reason behind that is, yes, it's a big heritage brand, but the marketers within that team are innovative and forward thinking and progressive and you know they're very much aligned and we're very public about what we stand for as an agency there were a lot of alignments that we have followed over the over the last few years so 
it, 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 you can view it as big and nostalgic, but actually we saw it as what they actually stand for as a people team behind that. And we were certainly very much attracted to, to what they stood for and wanted to really, really put our energy into that one. And then Afterpay, we, we certainly can relate to, we, we see ourselves as genuinely an entrepreneurial business. Every, every client and, and person that I've brought in over the last three years have put so much blood, sweat and tears into that transformation. This is not just, obviously we're backed by a big giant in the interpublic group. I, I, I get that, but we've also had a real startup mentality because we did start from that bottom position and we've we've certainly brought people in who are energised and, you know, are certainly on the bus with us and believe in our vision and mission to, to deliver. And, and Afterpay very much had a lot of that energy and, and obviously growth momentum um, and certainly a brand that we wanted to be a part of. So, you know, we don't go for everything. We have to be very strategic, especially in and around lockdowns. We're certainly not burning our teams out. And, you know, they do take a lot of energy. But we also have seen a big shift from um, CMOs in the way they are, and and the and the um, the procurement leads on on how they're putting these tenders out to market these days. It was very different a couple of years ago, and I know Matt Baxter was very much at the forefront of the the ditch the pitch momentum. But we've genuinely seen a big change in um, how clients, not all, but most of the clients that we especially want to work with, are a lot more respectful through through these through the environment that we're in but also through making sure they look after our people through the process so um certainly a couple of brands that that you know we wanted to be a part of and we're renouncing another one out of melbourne this week and there's just some um you know just some great brands that that are really coming into the portfolio yeah, definitely. And I might throw this one to you, Sam. I mean, what should we expect from from initiative looking towards the rest of the year? I know Mel just mentioned, you know, obviously there's still new clients in the works, but, but you know, apart from that, what, what else should we expect? Mate, lots. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, we, we love an extracurricular at initiative. It's the way that I always think about it. Um, Look, obviously, we've had a lot of new business success in the last few months. So, you know, on the new business front, we'll be looking to bet in those clients, transition and onboard them um, perfectly uh, and set up those relationships for, for success into the future. It's something that we really pride ourselves on is having really long tenure of clients. And that begins with transition and doing that right. So <clears throat> that will be a big focus for us. Um, we've also got some some really interesting things happening. You know, we've always got an opinion on what's happening in the industry and, and are trying to really not only drive our agency to be progressive and to be forward thinking but the industry as a whole um, I think that's really important so something you guys will start to hear about from us are, are the forgotten upfronts which will be happening um, in just under um, a month's time you know we know our industry loves an upfront we love to put some shiny um, glitter on some things and talk about uh, talk about ourselves um, we're taking a different approach this year um, and we're, we're trying to highlight some of the people in the publishing community, platforms and brands that, that don't get as much attention, you know, in, in the Indigenous community or the culturally and linguistically diverse community, even the over 60s, we'll be, we'll be looking at different publications and giving them a stage and inviting the entire industry to come along and, and have an opinion and hear, hear some of those stories. So that's pretty exciting. Um, but, mate, I would say, you know, more so than just the kind of last quarter of this year, moving into next year, 
um, look, we're really excited to just continue the momentum and, and level up into really kind of the next chapter of this agency's uh, history. I think, you know, we talk about it a lot internally. We know that agency success is very cyclical in our industry. You know, we, we don't want to be a shooting star. We don't want to be winning this award for one year and then, you know, you never hear of us again. I think there's a genuine belief that we've got something special with the team that that Mel has assembled. Um, we all very strangely love working together, get along really well, and I think we want to do it for a long time. You know, we want to really create a legacy so that people can say that when they worked at Initiative during this time, it was something special and it set their career up uh, for the rest of their years. So, so that's what we're looking forward to and um, hopefully we're back in this spot having the same conversation with you next year. Hopefully uh, for you guys. Anyway, thanks so much, Sam and Mel, for taking the time to join me on the podcast today. No worries. Thanks for having us. Nice to see you, mate. And that's it for this week. But remember to subscribe to the Mumbrella Cast wherever you get your podcasts. And also a big congratulations to all the winners of the Mumbrella Publish Awards, uh, which were announced this afternoon. To see the whole list of winners, uh, please do head over to the Mumbrella website. The full story is up there and you'll be able to figure out who took home some of the biggest scongs in the publishing industry. That is it for this week. Xander, Cal, Liv, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Damien. Thanks, Damo. Thank you.